Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith. I'm here with Tina Spring, and this is a continuation of our interesting, very interesting discussion of spay and neuter with Barb Dobbins. Now, Barb has been fascinated by dogs for as long as she can remember. As a child, she would round up her dogs and horse for a day of adventure, exploring and searching for buried treasure in the California hills. Well, that sounds like fun. Sign me up. Anyway, she was inspired by Margaret Mead with a nod to Indiana Jones. She went on to study anthropology, archaeology, and museum studies. And before she knew it, she obtained a master's degree in art history. Then, like all of us who finally turned into dog trainers, two new puppies bounced into her life. She found herself completely immersed in design in a desire to learn all she could about them. So she started studying animal behavior, training, and volunteering in the behavior department at her local shelter. So when her boarded colleague Daisy was diagnosed with cancer, she dug deep into research she could about the disease. Wanting to share what she learned with others, she put it into her first article for the Whole Dog Journal. She's been writing then for the Whole Dog Journal since 2011 with a focus on veterinary and canine health topics liaison between pet owners and veterinary practice science and research so she's written some really wonderful articles many of which have been on cancer the one we're discussing is the one on spay and neuter and she takes inspiration from her two research assistants her mixed breed tico and her border collie parker so thank you for coming back and talking with us again barbara about spay and neuter and here on uh, your family dog so tina off you go so Barbara, when last we were talking, we we brushed up against the issue of what are what are hormones and what do they do? Can you help teach us all? <laughs> I wish I could. There, um, we don't know the full effects of what the reproductive hormones do, and that's you know aside from you know their part in reproduction, we do know that they affect the entire body. Um, w- and we and so but we don't know exactly how and we certainly don't know what's going to happen when we remove those organs before they've played their role in the body so that's a that's a big issue and you know you know let's talk a little bit like um testosterone what does testosterone you know do in the body you know it not only helps develop the sex organs it can um Sorry, guys, you just lost me. My brain just went to, you know, another. Um, that would be reproductive hormones working their magic, in my experience. Or the lack of them right now. <laughs> or the lack of them, right. No, so, like, so, yeah, and exactly. And so, you know, do our dogs experience the same thing, you know, when they're, so. you know, yeah. You know, because we essentially force them into a state of, of, uh, you know, static, uh, lack of, lack of hormones, you know, they don't have any in their body because essentially what happens is that when you spay and neuter that those levels go down to almost zero. Well, and what nobody can see because we're, we're on Skype, but this is a podcast is that, is that Julie is in the exact moment that we're talking about this, peeling <laughs> off clothing and fanning herself frantically, having having a hot flash, I assume. 
So exactly. Well, you know, and that's just it. Do dogs experience menopause? You know, they probably do, but we don't, we don't have enough you know, information about it. Right. And, and like I said, I've heard it said, like, don't take a female who's just been through a heat cycle and immediately spay her, right? Like it's just hormonally and physically unkind. Um, yeah, my breeder says when you do that, you need to not do it until she would have completed the cycle of raising the puppies. She needs to go through that. That's part of the entire estrus cycle is through to when she would have uh, weaned the puppies or a little or beyond that so that, you know, you don't mess up her hormones in that way. And um, interestingly, um, when I am on a thyroid medication, which causes hot flashes. So, you know, um it's like I feel like I'm being doubly punished, man. You know? Yeah. But you look great. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the interesting there's a real interesting theory. It, I don't think it's actually been, you know, uh, supported in full yet, but the fact that the um hormones um trigger uh, immune cells that hunt cancer. So we've got these surveillance cells out there looking for cancer. And so what happens if you remove the hormones? You know, these, you know, they're dependent on these signals. And if they're gone, chance it could be that these in, you know, desex dogs, they're less effective at, at surveying, you know, and looking for cancer. So that's another, you know, role of, or of hormones in the body, or at least, you know, the theory is, you know, it's, we're, we're still waiting on data, you know, research data on it, but that's what they're looking at. So, um, Barb, I've heard that other countries are actually um, much more resistant to spay-neuter, right? The emphasis is on responsible dog ownership and not allowing your dog to, you know, wander around and indiscriminately breed with other dogs. Can you talk a little bit about what, um, about that and how that enters into this greater conversation about spay-neuter? Oh, I sure can. Um, I, you know, to get some information on this, because it's difficult to get um, all the local requirements for, you know, all the European nations. So what I did is I reached out to my friend, Jennifer Cate. She is the uh, executive director at Medical Mutts Service Dogs. And she travels frequently to Europe to train service dogs in Europe. So I reached out to her to kind of say, what do you see in you know, European, uh, you know, w- w- when you're working with European dogs. And, and she said that they are, they, they look at things much more naturalistically and holistically. You know, they're, they're rarely kept in crates. That's kind of an odd idea for them. You know, on walks, they're usually off leash. Um, there's a general tolerance of dogs in public places, on or off leash. They don't like animals that are declawed or have ears and tails cut or otherwise um, altered from their natural state. Um, so, you know, they really just like them as they were bred to be. They don't want to start changing them. And that goes to spay and neuter as well. Um, and interestingly, she mentioned that in Switzerland, they have very strict rules. And if you want to get a dog, uh, you first have to take a class. How does that sound, right? 
And then, and then they have, and then when you do get that dog, you have to take the class to training, to an accredited trainer, you know, and choke chains and prongs are illegal and they are, and the Swiss dogs are protected and abandonments have drastically dropped in this country. So I think that's a great, uh, you know, great observation. You know, the dogs are treated completely differently in other countries. And, and I think you guys had too have traveled. I've seen that same thing in, in my travels. You know, well, and there's breed marshals, right? Animals aren't just there's there's just flat, not as many mixed breed animals. Not everyone. You pay a lot of money to have an animal. Yeah. And and, you know, to that and too, in the United States, we we get we get nervous around intact animals. You know, a lot of times they're not allowed into playgroups or into daycares or, you know, boarding facilities because, oh my, you know, the dog's intact. And that's kind of an odd, you know, why is that, you know, when, you know, what, what's the foundation for that? Right. That's a, that's kind of, um, that's very interesting. And I think that would, I, I guess I feel like maybe they should be looking more at the individual dog whether or not that individual dog can mix in with the population as opposed to whether or not it, it has its cojones or not. Um, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is interesting too is, is in talking to um, our flat coat breeder, um, flat coats are prone towards a, a cancer called histiocytic sarcoma. And she and I were talking about whether or not neutering would have an effect on cancer. And she said, in general, she thought that, that dogs who, um, were kept intact tended to be have lower cancer rates. And I said, what about histiocytic sarcoma? And she said, well, in Britain, most flat coats are kept intact and their rates of histiocytic sarcoma are the same as here in the States. So that indicates that that particular cancer may or may not be influenced much by hormones. That's probably more of a genetic basis to this cancer since it occurs in every line of flatties. Um, so I think that, that you can't just generalize and say, if you keep your dog intact, you are going to eliminate cancer because that's not the case either. I think you have to look at the individual breed and the individual, you know, what were the occurrences of cancers within that breed? Does it matter? Is it the same in, for example, in Britain as it is here? And the, tr the answer for histiocytic sarcoma is yes. For other cancers, I can't speak. Well, in general, you know, if we take a look at the gross data, you know, at face value, you know, if you just look at all these studies and try to break it down and simplify it, you know, you come up with kind of a balance, you know, there's a balance of the pros and the cons uh, for cancers. You know, again, a lot of these research studies were done in specific breeds, but um, the, the Incidence of cancer decreases uh, in for uh, mammary, ovarian, uterine, and testicular cancers. Those spay and neuter, those those types of cancers go down. In, they increase, however, with osteosarcoma, lymphoma, hemangiosarcoma, mast cell tumors, uh, prostate cancers, and transitional cell carcinoma. So, you know... Those are what you're looking at. So one way to look at that is if you have a particular breed of dog that is prone to one of those types of cancers, maybe that's going to weigh your uh, decision to spay or neuter. 
you know, like osteosarcoma and Rottweilers, you know, they're known for having osteosarcoma. So maybe you want to increase your chances a little bit. But that's a really good question, too. How what is the rate of cancer for these diseases, too? You know, so maybe these do increase, but let's say the rate of increase is so small. Or let's say, it's, you know, the, the, the rate of getting it, let's say it's a 2%, you know, chance of getting um, hemangiosarcoma. And even if that increases 100%, that only still becomes um, 4%. So is that a huge risk? Is that a huge risk to, to, of getting cancer? You know, are you really increasing it that much? And so those are some of the things you want to look at when you're looking at especially uh, types of cancer. You know, what is the rate of increase? And, you know, does it make a huge amount of difference if it's already a rare cancer? Then, you know what, maybe it's not really going to make that much of a difference. Well, and I, I do think one of the, the reasons that so many of these studies are done on purebred dogs is because the breed group associations are funding that research because they're having a problem in their breed, right? So I'm going to pick on the poor golden retrievers of the universe, which their cancer rates are like through the roof on on a whole bunch of stuff. And so that is right. The, it's a very popular breed. The breeders are trying to eradicate as much as many health issues as they possibly can. And so they're funding the research. Um, so I think sometimes people are like, well, they only did that research on Roddy. So they only did that research on Doberman Pinchers. Well, yeah, because that's who was funding the research was the Doberman Pinscher breeders trying to solve a specific problem, like they're looking for a genetic marker to figure out like, okay, who do we breed and not breed? And how do we reduce the incidence of a specific malady in our breed? Exactly. And, and which is, I think, really important and gets back to supporting the breeder and helping develop, you know, a healthy dog. So, you know, and, and what we can't do is take a a blanket statement though, and say, oh, look, you know, it increases cancer and apply it to all breeds of dogs, you know? So you've really got to watch to see if that study is breed specific, you know? Um, also, let's look at, you know, some of the pros and cons for non-cancer items. You know, some of the pros include population control, behaviors, you know, uh, it certainly increases uh, or decreases likelihood of pyrometra, perianal issues, pregnancy, problematic pregnancies, pseudo pregnancies, mastitis, prostate issues, you know. Um, and so, oh, and, and um, also here's another thing, and, and maybe hip dysplasia. This is one thing you're asking. Some of the things that I found interesting is that um, the New York SPCA did a study where they looked at dogs that were uh, gonadectinomized at earlier than five and a half months. They found they had a higher incidence of hip dysplasia, but a significantly lower percentage of those were euthanized because of that hip dysplasia when compared to dogs that were spay-neutered when older. And what this suggests is that early spay-neuter may be associated with a less severe form. So, you know, that's, you know, so that can be pro or against because, you know, that's on the other side, you know, dogs that are spayed, neutered tend to, you know, there's, you know, the, the cons about that are potential female urinary incontinence, 
uh, cranial cruciate ligament rupture, uh, ruptures, hip dysplasia can be on either side of that. And behavior, and that's one of the things I really like to point out. And again, another surprise for me was that especially with male dogs and male dogs that are timid or fearful. And you may not want to remove those gonads, you know, because the testosterone in them can help them become more confident. And so I've actually had a couple of friends recently, I just did an assessment on a Bernadoodle and had some, you know, fearful concerns. And I was happy to see that, um, I was actually happy to see the dog was still intact, you know, so that, you know, we, they could address whether or not, cause they were getting ready to neuter it. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't just yet. So. Right. Well, one of the things that I see, um, I see, um, thank you, Tina. Um, is that I don't see a huge differences in behavior. People want to, if I yeah. neuter my dog, he'll stop being aggressive. And I'm like, I wouldn't count on that one. Um, you know, so I think that, that it can influence behavior, but I don't think it's the panacea that everybody seems to think. And it's surprising to me, in some ways, the number of vets who still cling to that. The idea yeah. that... And, that and honestly, neuter- female, like if you have a, a female aggression with other female dogs issue and you spay... My experience is you, you just exploded it, yeah. right? Like you, you left her with only progesterone. The fact that the three of us could be on this call without someone getting injured with the lack of hormones in this space is pretty fantastic, right? Like we're, we're getting old and drying up and blowing away in the wind. So like I, these, these hormones have jobs to do, right? And not just one and it's complicated. So I have always heard, and and again, maybe Barb probably can pull out three studies that'll disagree, which will be great. Um, (laughs) But you don't, you don't spay an aggressive female dog. It, It can exacerbate it. It does not always help. It often will not help. So then we put, you know, maybe an, a, a very nice dog in many, many ways at risk of other things and didn't even solve the the problem we were trying to solve, but created a a whole new host of issues. Exactly. You know, and that's one of the things, you know, behavioral changes are so difficult to measure, you know, and the way they're measured are subjective. So, you know, that, that, that's a whole, whole nother story. (laughs) That's but a whole other podcast. Yeah, yes. It is. It is. And, you know, how you look at that, you know, and it's, you know, we've got all kinds of various definitions of, of behavior and then how people use those definitions. So it's just, um, you know, uh, to answer your question, though, or your comment there, Tina, you know, several studies show an increase among female dogs of heightened reactivity, you know? So yeah, that's supported. So yeah. So, so, but, but think about, I mean, and I feel bad for vets, right? Like we're on the receiving end of, Oh, look, another new study that disagrees with every other study. (laughs) Yeah. And and I don't even read all of them anymore. Right. So it's like, it's like, I got work to do. I, I can't read all these. 
I feel bad for vets. I vets do too. Constantly asked behavior questions with regard to all of this stuff, and the research is just all over the board. Um, I do think that there's a responsible dog ownership part, right? If you if you don't have the bandwidth, if you're a mom with four kids, ten and under and you have an intact animal, spay and neuter is probably a beautiful answer, right? It prevents one whole big lump of problems. Um, There's just one more thing niggling at you that you need to be doing more, right? Like we're not, nobody on this team is ever going to be on getting on board with, well, you just need to step it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, because you we, know what? We've all been there. Yeah, somebody should probably should say that to me pretty much every day. You know, Julie, you really could step it up a little bit here. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. well, I can send you an email. So, <laughs> well, you're too kind, um, Tina. <laughs> so, so what I would say is like, I don't think I'm ever, I've never ever beaten anybody up saying, well, I can't believe you spayed or neutered that animal. Like, that's just silly. It's not my place. Um, but I also, I sometimes feel a little protective of that person. Who's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my male dog intact until he's two because the research for my dogs is telling me and my vet and I are in agreement. Um, I sometimes am like, okay, the rest of y'all like leave them alone. Like let them like you do you leave them alone. Do you see research on alternatives to traditional spay neuter? So like ovary sparing spays, vasectomies and male dogs. Are you are you seeing any new research on any of those things? Yes, <laughs> there is, you know, and that's unfortunately a lot of the, uh, especially with chemical castration um, is not available here in the U.S. You know, we're kind of antiquated in that way. Um, one of the things I'd really, really like to see is a clinical research study where they take unneutered, you know, intact male dogs and do a, you know, controlled study where they put, um, you know, some of the dogs on a, uh, you know, an injectable, you know, uh, neutering, you know, you know, medication. So to see how it affected their behavior. Well, and I think honestly, like that would be great. Like if, if there was a way to temporarily chemically <laughs> sterilize an animal, so that you could see what it does for that animal when we're talking about behavior anyway, like what impact that has. I think one of the things that I hear from my lovely, awesome veterinary friends is they like being able to see whether an animal is spayed or neutered or not. Right. So for the boys, if there's not dangly bits, then they know like, OK, you know, that's not that's not part of the mix. Um where like a vasectomy or or a chemical neuter um, doesn't allow that easy identification of is that an intact animal or not? Yeah, uh, there, yeah, there are ways to do that. You can you can temporarily do it and then you know put it on, test it. In fact, I just recommended it to a friend of mine who's got a one year old porty 
who um, has some fear issues. You know, he's a little little shy, and and so and so she's hesitant about having him neutered, um, probably for a lot more reasons than that. But now it's like, well, what will neutering do to him? And I said, if you really want to explore that, I would look into doing the the temporary castration, you know, or the temporary, you know, halting of the the testosterone, and see what happens when that's no longer in his body, and see how it changes his behavior. So it is possible, and I think you know that's one of the research studies. I'm looking for. <laughs> no, I I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, you'll come and update us when when that comes in. Well, the other thing that um, I think you need to consider too is just how does your dog handle surgery, and how does your dog handle the whole thing about being you know away from you and in new situations. I know for for Zuzu. One of the things when we decided to go ahead and, and have her spayed at, on her birthday and when she was two, I'm never going to forgive myself for that one. But anyway, what we did with it was a laparoscopic spay so that um, so what she went in. So what they did was they basically just removed her ovaries and um, their philosophy is spay today, play tomorrow. Well, it's not quite that, but it's close. So it's a lot easier. Zuzu can go in. She went in. She had the surgery. She came home that day, small incisions with dissolving stitches. Within a week, she was fine. She'd recovered. And it was just a lot easier on my very nervous, you know, anxious little girl to have something simpler and not as painful. And so I think that um, if you're going to spay or neuter your dog and they do have some behavior issues, you might want to think about not just what how it's going to change their personality, but how are they, how traumatic is that experience going to be for them? And so we were lucky here in in, uh, in Central Ohio. I had a couple of different options, one of which was not one was which was extraordinarily expensive, and one of which was very reasonable. So take a look at, at those and talk to your vet about alternatives to um, you know the traditional surgery. And my vet was who did not do our arthroscopic surgery was perfectly fine. He said, yeah, I think that is the best option for Zuzu, considering who she is. Um, may not necessarily do that with, with my other dogs, but uh, there are options other than just the, the traditional surgery as well. There are, yeah. So it's a lot of different surgical techniques as well. And, and you know, there's, you know, uh, tubal ligation, you know, there are there are, you know, for both males and females, you know, you can just do a vasectomy and keep things on board. So um, I think we need a lot more research on that, you know, and see how it's going. And, you know, again, I think sometimes we become hesitant. It's like, okay, so you did one surgery. Well, that really didn't have the effect that we wanted. Do we do another surgery and actually remove, you know? So you really need to kind of think ahead about how you want to approach those before deciding, let's like, you know, at least I would, you know, because I don't want to say, oh, I'm going to have to put my dog through three surgeries just to get where I want, you know? Right. So what right. I want to look at, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish and what the best way to do that is. And then, like you said, though, it can be difficult to find veterinarians who are doing these things. You know, like I said, it's difficult to find some of these uh, chemical, you know, temporary chemical uh, drugs, you know, that inhibit uh, you know, that prevent pregnancy. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, you know, that's a whole new, there's, there is a great website that that's devoted to that. And I'll send that to you so that you guys have that that on on the show notes. So, so I guess my question is, 
is people are, are going to say, I've read all these studies and I'm still really confused. I just <laughs> don't know what to do. So am I. <laughs> so I've read them all. And, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I think I brought this up with Tina, you know, and I think one of the things is, are you comfortable living with an intact dog? Do you know what that means? I don't. I mean, I grew up in the era era of, you know, Spain, Spain neuter. That's what we did. So I didn't live with an intact dog. And I don't know what that means. You know, how, you know, what does that look They're for a male really dog? Stinky. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Like, so, so it was hysterical. So the last dog that was intact until he was almost two, one of my staff is a, um, is a vet tech. And so she would pet sit for us. And so she was hysterical because she would take him for a walk and she would be like, Oh my goodness. Like his urine and his feces are, his stool is so pungent. And she complained and complained. And I'm like, he's an intact male dog. He smells normal for an intact male dog. Like you live your life in the company of sterilized animals. They're stinky. Just like men. They're stinky. Just like (laughs) us. They're stinky. Like, they're not like they're stinky. They have hormones. They're supposed to have hormones. His poop is supposed to stink because it's an advertisement to the world. How cute he is here at our house. So, you know, hello, ladies. So but it's funny because people aren't. And then she's like, oh, my gosh, like he's hairy in places. I'm not used to dogs being hairy. And I'm like, right. He's an intact male dog. So so. <laughs> Like, it's funny, though, because we've insulated ourselves from how they are, if we were to call it, I don't know, maybe like biologically unfooled around with, (laughs) right? Like, because I don't know that that's normal, because intact boy dogs can be a little goofy, but... But like this unfooled around with version, like as their creator created them... Their version is really different. It's really different. They don't focus so well. (laughs) Isn't that just male dogs in general? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, no, that's teenage boys. I I I usually always have male dogs, and then I have friends who always have female dogs, and their complaint is like, no, male dogs can't focus. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) No, they're just like teenage boys. Yeah, is is the bottom line. You know, it's like oh, cute girl. Yeah, yeah. Do your homework. <laughs> oh, right. Like, stop looking out the window. Well, I mean, it's like anybody who's ever had a stallion versus a gelding. One just has more focus. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. or one just has more focus on something else. Yeah. Right, then focus on what I want you to focus on instead of yeah. all of the other things. So, yeah. Right. Like is is living with a neutered dog easier? Probably. In many cases. Yes, probably. Right. And so I don't I don't fault people for that. I think, you know, and everybody in our house. Well, not all of the dogs in our house and the cat are all neutered. Um, And we deal with those ramifications, too. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And we're and a lot of them we just don't even know yet, you know, and uh you know, but I think, you know, in general, I think one of the, you know, one of the real positive things, too, that comes out of spay-neuter is that, you know, and this has been supported, is that neutered dogs live longer, you know. Uh, on general, you know, one and a half to two years. 
So then does that mean higher increase? You know, if you think that they've also got a higher increase of cancer rates, well, is that because they're living longer and cancer tends to be a, um, age related? Yeah. Age related disease. So, you know, those are those, you know, yeah. Would I like to keep my dog around an extra couple of years? Yeah. So I guess the, the bottom line is for all of this is that what we need to understand about spay and neuter is that it's not as clear cut a decision as is sometimes presented to us, that there are no easy answers here. There's no direct cause and effect. If you do this, then this. It's probably more correlation. Correlation is not causation. That's an important thing to understand. It's also important to understand, give yourself a break. Most of us are doing the best job we can with the dogs that we have in the time that we have with the knowledge that we have at that time. And you know what? That's okay. If you're right. And you're the one who lives with your dog. Absolutely. You're the one who's living your life in your your home. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm not super keen on having everybody buffet everyone else around with, you know, their internet search. So I think owners can make the best. I trust owners to make the best decisions they can for their circumstance in their life with their dogs. My goal is to try to give them a somewhat unbiased support system to do that. Yeah, because it's not just in some ways, I think what what people tend to forget is it's not really just about what's right for that dog. It's what's right for that family and that dog. And, you know, maybe the best thing would be to neuter, but you but it goes against your ethics. So that violates part of your family ethics. So we don't neuter and we we deal with the consequences of that. And it could also go the other way. So I think that you have to take a look at the big picture, which includes who you are, who your family is, and who your dog is. And then make the best decision you can with the information you have. There's no right or wrong. So, Exactly. I think, you know, responsible pet ownership is hopefully taking on a new meaning. And that means pet owners are educating themselves about the benefits and harm of spay-neuter. They make informed choices for their individual animal and then accept the consequences of that choice. Right. I really hope that you'll choose to come back, Barb. I would love to hear about so many more of the subjects um, that that you're researching and that you're writing about. Um, Whole Dog Journal does a great job. Like they are near and dear to my heart. Um, Thank you. And and I point to them pretty regularly with with um, my customers when they have a question about something. I can often just point to a whole dog journal article. I hope you'll decide to come back and visit with us from time to time and talk to us about cancer and some of the other things you've been researching. Because I I think that you are richly blessing the world, and we're really excited that you decided to come and hang out at our kitchen table with us. Thank you so much for for having me. It's been a real honor and. Uh, um, it, there's just so much information here and, and I hope, uh, Julie can clean it up a little bit and try to make some sense of it. Uh, you know, it's, it is fascinating stuff and all this stuff fascinates me and I hope I'm able to, you know, translate it into ways that, that, uh, make it accessible for people. Oh, I think you do a really good job of that. And I will certainly give a link in our show notes to the whole dog journal article that you wrote. Now, is a is a just as a, an FYI to our listeners, 
Whole Dog Journal has some things that are in front of the firewall and some things that are behind the wall. So if you want to have access to all of their articles, you may need to join them. But the subscription rate on a yearly basis is not bad at all. And if you get the print version, you get free online access. So just know that some of the articles we reference, you may have to have pay for access to it. But um, most people who are interested in this kind of stuff find that it's very reasonable price. So I just want to give you a fair warning on that. And yes, I agree with Tina. Thank you so much, Barb, for joining us. We would absolutely love to have you back. And um, I have a whole, as I, before the show started, I showed Barbara the stack of Barb Dobbins articles that I have on my desk to read. So um, I'd like to read those. And Tina, I will send them to you, I promise. So um, <laughs> just because I failed this time doesn't mean I'll fail every time. Okay, well, I wasn't going to tell on you. Well, that's all right. You know, it's kind of, now I don't have to go to confession with the priest, right? Because now no, I right. <laughs> I've done it here. All right. This well, is, I want to thank you to you guys for opening up this dialogue because I think it's so important that we start talking about it, you know, and I, I know it's going to be controversial in some, some areas, you know, and I, and I still believe that, you know, for population control, you know, spay neuter needs to take place in shelters. We, we can't worry about some potential future effects on a dog um, that's being spayed, neutered in, in a shelter. You know, that's not that's not where the choice needs to be made. The choice needs to be made first with the individuals who have an option for spay, neuter. So, you know, we need to continue to support, support our shelters and rescues in, in their um, right. work that and they're doing. I don't think any of us are saying, like, if you signed an adoption contract that said that you are required, you know, for example, here in Georgia, if a, a rescue or a shelter places an animal it is required by law that you spay neuter. We're not advocating for like, oh, break the law. Like we're just exactly. not doing that. No. So. no, not at all. But, you know, I think we we need to, you know, it's, it's difficult because we walk these fine lines between all these different groups and we need to support everybody. And as I said, all, got, all dogs need good homes. So that's right. And I also think too, is with, with shelters, um, because they deal with a, with a wide variety of, of pet populations and a wide variety of human populations, for them, the responsible thing to do is to say, let's spay or neuter, and we can do it for you effectively and efficiently and inexpensively. And then that's not one, that's an issue you don't have to deal with. And I think that that's a service to their customers and probably to those dogs, because we also don't know for many of the shelter dogs what their genetic makeup is, what their behavioral makeup is. Maybe these are, are not dogs that we do want to have out there reproducing. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.